Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Volcanic eruptions can produce tremendous amounts of ash, but where does it all go? Now, when a volcanic eruption happens on land, that ash can travel a very long way and cause a lot of disruption. But how does it travel so far? And what happens if that volcanic eruption happens under the ocean? Where does all that ash go? This week we talk about eruptions and volcanic ash. One of the things that's so fascinating about the ocean is mostly its size. We think about how much of our planet is the ocean, and that's just in pure surface area coverage. You have to remember that the ocean is also deep, So volumetrically, the space occupied by life in the ocean, or things just in there, lying around, floating or underneath the surface, is just so much larger, so much more vast and harder to explore. In many ways, we're more familiar with the surface of the moon than we are with, well, the depths of our ocean. Now, Advances in satellite technology, sonar, and a variety of other sources have increased our knowledge of the seas, and more importantly, what lies beneath them. But there are so many mysteries lurking under the water. And one simple example of of this is how sometimes scientists, geologists in particular, can be completely baffled by a suddenly appearing island in the middle of the ocean. Now, that island hasn't come from nowhere. It's burst out of the sea floor risen up through the form of normally a volcano and then erupted above the surface. Now we talked about on this podcast the Havre Seamount volcano lies roughly northwest of New Zealand at a depth of a thousand meters below the sea's surface. Way back in 2012 when we covered this at the time scientists freaked out because all of a sudden a massive almost island of floating amounts of pumice Around 400 square kilometres of pumice, the volcanic rock, were found floating in the waters. And they were trying to figure out what on earth happened to create this massive carpet roughly the size of the city of Vienna. Now, of course, that's pretty impressive. And like we talked about at the time, it's often some of the ways we find out about these new islands. Satellite photography or some strange phenomena occurring. And researchers at the time were stunned, but were able to investigate and collect data to show that more than 100 million cubic metres of volcanic ash also came out along with all that pumice. Now that was fascinating, and researchers gathered together all of that data and actually took samples from the seafloor around the volcano, as well as from all of the pumice and floating material. They gathered this all up and worked as a collaboration with researchers from the University of Würzburg, researchers from the Julius Maximilius University in Bavaria, and researchers, of course, from New Zealand. They collaborated and published a paper in the journal Nature Geosciences way back in June 2020. Lead author on that paper was Tobias Dudek, with a large range of international collaborators. Now, when they collected all these samples from the volcano, they were astonished by the amount of material that was being produced by this volcano. And they took it back to the lab to try and understand and see if they could replicate it. Because how else are you going to study a surprising volcanic eruption if you're not there and you barely knew it existed until well after the eruption happened? The only way you can do anything like that is to recreate it 
in the lab. Basically what they did was just heat up all bunches of different types, shapes and sizes of the material and did it and put it under water just to see what would happen. And in certain conditions, they ended up with an explosive reaction, which led to the formation, in this case, of artificial volcanic ash. Now, based on this data and the comparing to the control of the actual sampled material, they found out that there were, this must be a pretty good replica of what happens at the ocean floor, 1,000 metres below sea level, when a volcano actually does erupt. The molten material, when they take it out of a crucible and put small little drop of 10 centimetres in to the water, they can see it crack and water shoots abruptly into the vacuum created. That water then expands explosively out and you get all these little particles ejected out in a big rush. And they tried to simulate what happens with ocean currents under the water through by pushing the water through a U-shaped tub. And when they got that flow and the impact of currents, they ended up with this creation of volcanic ash. So they've proven that volcanoes can erupt underwater in producing ash, much like the 1900 or so active volcanoes on land or islands. These ones beneath the sea floor, and scientists estimate there are thousands more under the ocean that we don't know about than there are above it. So they all explode and create these plumes of much like their land-based family, these underwater volcanoes can also produce violent eruptions like pyroclastic flow just under the water. And you might think, well, sure, Justin, this is an underwater volcanic eruption. Of course, it's going to create some kind of eruption where they're going to produce magma, creating lava flows, except they chill and that's how we get an island or the creation of a landmass, a new island with a volcano. And we know that these things occur. That's true. But let's take a step back and remember how many volcanoes are above the ocean, not in the ocean, on land. There's around 1,900 active volcanoes. That's a large number, globally speaking. But if there are many, many more under the waters, nearby volcanic islands, and also branching off in small, I guess, vents or side caldera, effectively, but underwater... You can imagine, like in an area like Stromboli, near Sicily, or or near some of the Canary Islands, these volcanic, incredibly volcanic and active islands, maybe the Hawaii chain, there are other new, bubbling away underwater volcanoes that are producing huge eruptions, which could have impacts on ocean life, but also, to the enterprising scientist and engineer, present a unique opportunity to create some pretty interesting power generation. So that's where researchers from the University of Leeds come into the equation. Now they've just published a paper in the journal Nature Communications. The two authors are Samuel Pegler and David Ferguson from the University of Leeds. Now they took this idea of these underwater volcanoes and took it a step further. To find out what is happening in these underwater eruptions, once you know that a volcano exists and it is underwater, well then you need to go out and measure it. Some of the fantastic research we talked about in the early paper was only possible because they were able to take samples using uncrewed 
underwater vehicles to get right at the action and take samples up close and personal to those deep sea volcanoes. Now, that's given researchers a great opportunity to study exactly what is happening at these volcano surfaces, whether or not you're seeing these explosive formation of volcanic ash like we spoke about earlier, or whether or not something far more interesting is happening. And, you know, these deep sea marine eruptions were thought to only produce slow-moving lava flows or occasionally maybe some of the volcanic ash like we spoke about. But there's also something much more interesting going on, because just like how ash can get disturbed and unleashed by a ground-based volcano up into the stratosphere, causing global climatic changes, or maybe it just disrupting all air travel in Europe, if you recall when an Icelandic volcano erupted in the early 2000s. And if a huge amount of volcanic ash erupts out of an underwater volcano, it's got to go somewhere. And that trony of that volcanic ash, just like it does in the air and the oceans, gets moved around by currents of fluid. Instead of air, wind, storms and jet streams, you have jet stream currents and all other kinds of interesting ocean-based dynamics. Now, the ocean isn't as tall or large as necessarily the atmosphere is, but it still is a very, very intricate and complex system. And what is more interesting about the ocean is that unlike air, there is a lot of strange biochemical reactions that take place in the ocean waters itself, which if there's large amounts of ash getting churned around through it, well, it can lead to some pretty curious results. These megaplumes that erupt out of these volcanoes, the researchers from the University of Leeds, through their samples with robotic missions, were able to categorise just how hot and chemically rich the water in these plumes are. Now, of course, just like their land-based brethren, these plumes erupt first upwards and then spread outwards, and the ash is carried with them. The thing is, because these mega plumes are so large and they don't get dispersed as easily as the ones in the atmosphere or spread across a large area physically they remain quite dense the size of the mega plumes is equivalent to around 40 million olympic sized swimming pools in other words a lot when we talked about the land of pumice that was being created before it gives you a bit of an idea of what we're talking about now ferguson and pegler used these sample data and a mathematical model to see what happens as the eruption spreads several kilometres away from the volcano. And by working backwards from their sample data, they could piece together just exactly what happened when an eruption took place. And they could show that the amount of energy released from that eruption and how much it had to spew out and churn out in order to spread that ash so far and wide is just such a huge, mind-boggling amount of energy. A volcanic eruption on the ground, you can think about just how big it is. When people talk about a Mount St. Helens type event or Krakatoa, you know, the sound of Krakatoa was heard so many large distances away. Well, an underwater volcano isn't easily seen or heard, but doesn't mean that energy is not being released. The example that they were studying, the energy produced by that eruption alone was equivalent to roughly the power consumption of the entirety of the United States of America. Now, that's crazy if you think about it, because 
there's lots of volcanoes underwater. We know about the ones that have made it onto land, but that's only a small fraction of them. And there's a lot of underwater eruptions just taking place. We're only aware of the ones that we managed to, I guess, stumble upon. And once we know about an underwater volcano, it can keep erupting, just like ones on land, for a long period of time. Just to show just how little we understand some of the major significant forces on our planet. These submarine eruptions can cause mega plumes of ash that spread across the oceans. In eruptions, from an energy perspective, that are colossal. Enough energy to power a continent. The headline of this paper. But just because all of this is happening under the water, we tend not to see or really have any easy way to study it. But the dynamic power of the movement of the continental plates, the Earth's crust, the reservoirs of magma underneath the Earth's crust, and how it surges out to the sea floor. All of this energy, obviously, has to go somewhere. And it does, into these tremendous explosions and spreading of ash across our ocean beds. Now, the only way we know about these is by cautious and careful mapping and sampling of the ocean floor. Because there's so much about the ocean that we just, quite frankly, don't understand. Thinking about it another way, just one eruption alone produced such a tremendous amount of energy, equivalent to a large continent's energy consumption, and yet we barely knew about it. That is the scary part about the power of what lies beneath the oceans, and shows just how much more we have to learn by exploring the depths of our oceans in all its shapes and forms, whether by studying sea life or by studying the ash from volcanic eruptions on the seabed. This paper was published in the journal Nature Communications and the authors of the second paper were Pegler and Williams. When it comes to volcanic eruptions underwater, we don't know a lot. Even when they happen on land and they erupt up into the atmosphere, it can cause all kinds of disruptions, mostly because we don't know exactly where all that volcanic ash is going to end up. Now, a team of researchers from the University of Geneva, collaborating together, published a paper in Nature Communications, which modelled and examined what could happen in a large eruption and where all these particles might move to, amalgamate up and basically end up and land. To do this, they turned, of course, to the most famous of all volcanoes, the Icelandic eruption in 2010 of Kutl, the what you will remember as being the really long, weird Icelandic volcano that erupted and threw global transportation into chaos for months. Now, the thing that happened there was basically all air travel for six days was disrupted pretty intensely. It's in like no-fly zones. And then when it happened in April, it lasted pretty much till May with these advisory notices. The thing is, we were monitoring explosions and volcanic ash potential at that time. There were nine volcanic ash advisory centers, VACs, scattered across the world. And they were all trying to predict where an ash cloud might go based on well, traffic corridors and jet stream understanding. The problem was, they didn't get it right. It led to a lot of confusion and 
in the terms of airline industry, a massive amount of economic disruption. Based on this, a lot of things changed. They introduced ash concentration thresholds, which were then used by airlines to make decisions on when it was safe to fly and when it was not safe to fly. The thing is, what happens with an eruption? You don't just get one type of particle. You get fragments ranging from a few microns to more than two meters in size. So obviously that's a big scale of what can get ejected from an eruption, but it just makes you think about what happens. Now, the thing is, the larger the particles, the faster and closer to the volcano they fall. That's good and easy to predict. The problem is that two micron size, that small scale, because if they're light, they can float in the air for a very long time. So if you measure purely concentration, your concentration might be quite high because you had a whole bunch of large things floating up there, but that's not necessarily going to have traveled very far. And also when you think about it for an engine, big chunks, big large amounts, that causes problems for engines. Small particles on the micron scale may not, well not immediate problems, probably do in a wear perspective. So that's why the two milligrams per cubic meter is what most airlines have got to with their safe to operate. The 2010 eruption of Heyafetaeakotul wasn't the only volcano you could study to see the impact on air navigation. The Sakurajima volcano in Japan erupts pretty regularly, around two to three times a day for more than 50 years. Now, that is something you can set your clock to, and that's what Costanza Bonadonna, the professor in the Department of Earth Sciences at the University of Geneva, had been investigating. A regular eruption like that enables you to take a lot of data and a lot of samples, and they used adhesive paper to collect the ash before it hit the ground. Now, they were looking at, in particular, a phenomenon called the rafting effect. Now, what occurs in the rafting effect is small particles can basically form like a sediment, can amalgamate in the air and group together. And this is pretty amazing to think about, mostly because for all intents and purposes, the rafting effect had been theoretically suggested in 1993, but basically declared impossible because no physical circumstance would ever allow large particles to group together and get to a 100 to 800 micron in sized core. Now, that seems nuts that a small dust particles, a couple of microns in size, can build themselves up in the air floating around. But by using this very regular eruption of the Sakurajima volcano in Japan, they're able to capture this on paper. They used a high-speed camera and they were able to observe the sedimentation of the ash in real time and they were able to see, previously unseen before, aggregates called cord clusters start to form. They start with a big core, 100 to 800 microns in size, and then they grab onto it 60 micron pieces on the sides. And this external layer of smaller particles can act like a parachute for the core, delaying its sedimentation. By these small particles hanging on to the dense core, they can help it float along, preventing it from falling down and descending to the ground, enabling it, for want of a better word, to float like a raft. Now, having seen this with a camera, they then conducted out simulations to help understand what happened in different volcanic eruptions and see how they managed to get large amounts of material spreading so far and wide. And the presence of the rafting effect can be traced back to several 
types of eruptions. The extent of the travel of these plumes, when you factor in the fact that these possible for larger core of material to group together and then float for an extended duration rather than what you expect just sinking to the ground this so-called rafting this helps account for the such this spread and the disparity of results that they've seen from numerous eruptions now with models like this as outlined by the researchers Eduardo Rossi, Colombo Hussain, Bagheri, Frances Beckett and Costanza Bonadonna and they outlined in their paper in Nature Communications it can show how we can expand our understanding of eruptions and how even in the air with volcanic eruptions on land we really don't understand exactly what's going on we're still learning how volcanic eruptions can impact the areas nearby to them and far and wide across the planet even something so humble as volcanic ash can float group together and get held aloft by its peers something pretty special to think about this has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. Volcanic eruptions underwater, creating all kinds of interesting plumes of ash, and how ash can travel by rafting through the air. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.